We're going to read from God's Word at this point from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're reading from 15 through the remainder of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul, in speaking to the Corinthians, says of his ministry, Lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. I baptized also the household of Stephanus beside. I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the wisdom, excuse me, the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But... Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And now if you look over at Ephesians chapter 6. Our text is going to be found in verse 15. As we have noted we, in days past, we are reading down through what we commonly call the Christian armor, that which Paul speaks as a fatherly word to the Ephesians, as a parting word for them to put on. This morning we're considering verse 15 where it says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I want us to think on that this morning and what that picture suggests to us 
and how we're to give heed to the gospel of which we have just read, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to use his word in our hearts. Father, now we would pray that thou would allow the word of God to do that rich work that delivers us from ourselves, brings us to the feet of Christ, and then feeds us with the manna from above, that we might both be satisfied with the things of Christ, but that we might also learn, that we might be those who are prepared, that we might be those who are helped of our God to stand in an evil day, and then also to be those who are ready to fight for the sake of Christ, fight with the power of God, even the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray now that thou wouldst bless us then, help me as thy servant, lead on thought and word. We pray for Jesus' sake and for his name. And all this we leave before thee for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the center of the text that we are taking, I want you to understand, is not the feet. But it does say there that you're to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So though there's a reference to feet, and there are many applications that we can make from the picture of um, a soldier and the need for his feet to be shod, I will notice more particularly that the core, uh, the center of the reference that we have here in our text is the gospel. That's the key point. That's the key word. That is the subject that we are going to understand and take to our minds today. The center of the text is Paul's reference to the gospel. The gospel that he terms the gospel of peace. That is the gospel that brings peace. The gospel's chief effect on the heart of those that believe is peace. Also, we might say that the gospel has its, its core, the fact that we now have peace with God by the work of the Lord Jesus. With all these being true, it is certainly appropriate that the reference to the gospel has that descriptive term, peace, in its reference. It is the gospel of peace. In our reading from 1 Corinthians, we have Paul presenting the fact that it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus that was his major subject among them. He notes that not all men have the same reaction to the gospel. Some believe it and are saved by the power of God. Others consider the gospel foolishness. Others look on the preaching of the gospel as an offense or a stumbling block. Nevertheless, the gospel is the primary means by which God brings to himself all that he means to save. Or as Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we see that the gospel 
is vitally important to understand and to believe for the saving of the soul. In Ephesians chapter 6, however, Paul is talking to believers. He is strongly warning them of the need to arm themselves with, and I put this in quotes for you, certain habits of grace. That's what you might call the Christian armor, habits of grace. By that I mean we are told that we are to make sure to have certain habits of how we think, what we set our minds on, what we study and learn, and what place holds the place of love in our hearts. If we are not wholly given to these heart-guarding ways that Paul describes as armor, we will find that we will be severely injured by the wiles of the devil. And again, we might ask the question, why is it that it's so important that we give heed and we develop what Paul calls the armor, what we might call the habits of grace? Well, verse 12, of course, of Ephesians 6, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He also mentions elsewhere that we wrestle against the wiles of the devil. We are in a battle, and we are in a battle with forces that are far greater than we can handle in our flesh. Therefore, we need to put on the armor, the habits of grace that are listed for us here. It is important for us to understand what these habits are. Not just to go through and read something that would describe for us a picture, a picture of armor. Well, that's fine to understand that, but unless you understand the basic meaning that's behind these pictures, it really is of no use. Today, we are going to consider the third item of armor that is spoken of by the Apostle. And that is that we are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now I will say plainly that this is an unusual way of describing that power and effect of the gospel. But it makes total sense if we will break the statement down into parts. So that's what I would like for us to do and consider this morning the Lord helping us. We're going to again consider this basic truth as our theme And that is that to fight against the wiles and attacks of the devil and the old flesh, there must be a preparation in the spiritual things of God. You must be prepared with the habits of grace. We must be equipped with the graces that are provided for us by the Lord Jesus. So, as we consider verse 15... I want us to consider three questions and answer them to see what exactly it is that we are being told to do. First, I want us to ask this question as we consider verse 15. What is this piece of armor of which we speak? What is this piece of armor of which we speak? It is by a description of Paul that which is to go on our feet. And we will discuss the application of this picture shortly. (coughs) Excuse me. 
Some, in looking at this verse, have asked the question, does this piece of equipment refer to shoes? Maybe. Others have asked, does this refer to an armor that covers the leg? Um, Again, maybe. It is not particularly clear. But my whole comment on that question is this. Do not get preoccupied with the picture, the suggestion of what is being put out there as the piece of armor. Don't get so preoccupied with what that is that you miss the center of the point. It really is not vital that we understand the object of the picture. What is vital is that we understand that the power of God, which we are to take to ourselves and apply, is the power of His grace. It is that which does a work within us. It is that which helps us to be able to withstand the enemies against our souls. This object, if you will, that we are to consider is what we are told is the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to understand a very basic truth then before we go, no pun intended, a step further. I have to ask, step back and ask the question then, what is the gospel? We are told here that we are to prepare ourselves, that we are to very carefully, methodically even, purposefully, put, as it were, on our legs and feet, that which is the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, the question has to be then, what is the gospel? That is something that is extraordinarily and extremely important for us to understand. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 4 says this, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. If you will allow that fourth verse then to stand as an overlay to our comments on Ephesians chapter 6, you see two parts here. That the Lord Jesus gave himself that we might be delivered from those that we are fighting against. The principalities and powers and so forth. The Lord Jesus gave himself for our sins. In a nutshell, in the simplest of terms, there is a biblical definition of the gospel. So let me say this. In short, the gospel is then the, is God's anointed message that speaks of the Lord Jesus' perfect work that saves sinners. And my point to you is this. The gospel is all about the Lord Jesus. Can I put that with exclamation points? The gospel is that which is all about the Lord Jesus. Understanding what's true about the success of Christ and keeping your mind on Him produces peace. That peace allows you to stand firm without being shaken 
and go forward in the service for Christ. So again, you put your mind on Christ. You settle your mind on what Christ has done. You consider the success of his work and you study that which is true of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this, and I'm not going to go deeply into this next point because this is not my purpose today. But to some, to some, the gospel is the message of the way in which I get saved. So when you talk to about the gospel, in many people's minds, they equate it with the message in the way I get saved. Well, my question to you is this. If that is really the gospel, what is the focus of that thought? If it's the way I get saved, where's, where's the focus? Where are you looking? Well, the answer is on self. That makes God's salvation completely a matter that requires man's cooperation in order to see it happen. John 10 and 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. When men are taken up with what they have done to get saved, they will succumb to doubts and the fiery darts of the wicked one. My point to you is look away to Jesus Christ. Consider that he successfully paid for your sins on the cross and brought you into that state of being righteous with God. Again, the gospel is what Jesus did, not what you have to do. May I stress that again? The gospel is what Jesus has done and not what you have to do. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 9. You know that verse? Salvation is of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Everybody here, I'm sure, could quote this. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, you have it stated there that you are saved That the salvation that comes by faith is that which is the gift of God, not of yourselves. But my point to you is this. The point is not the manner in which the power of God brings a man to salvation, but rather my point is the focus of the gospel that serves to undo the power of the enemy. Again, let me just stress this, and my point is over. You are to understand, you are to keep your mind on, You are to learn. If you don't know enough, learn more of what it is that Jesus has done before God in your heart and with your sin. Understand, keep your mind focused on what Jesus has done. When your mind and heart is set on Christ and his successful work, it brings peace. When your heart is set on what you do have done it leaves you without peace so that (coughs) I suggest to you is the armor that we are told the piece of armor that we are to put on second question second point what is it to prepare this armor what is it to prepare this armor you're to 
with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're to shod your feet. Again, we come to a phrase that is unusual. And many scholars have to admit that the sense of the words escapes them. And I will not claim to be above them. However, as best as it can be put together in my mind, this phrase, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, would be something of this sort. You are to prepare your feet and legs with sturdy military shoes so that you are not hindered in your movements. I think that's what it says. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Let me say it again. Prepare your feet and legs with sturdy military shoes so that you are not hindered in your movements. In other words, put on shoes so that you can move easily. It was kind of interesting. You, you wonder if one commentator reads another commentator who read a third commentator who looked at a fourth commentator and they all say the same point because I saw this word more than once. I said, ah, you guys have been collaborating here. The word that I saw that was said more than once here that would describe what happens when you put these things on your feet is that you are then able to move with Here's the word, alacrity. You're to move with alacrity. Okay, great. So, me being who I am, I immediately had to say, what do they mean here? I know what the word, before I knew what the word uh, alacrity meant, but I thought I'd better check it out with Dr. Webster. And I'll have to say that after I consulted with my good friend, uh, I came away more confused than I was before. Because in his dictionary, Dr. Webster says that alacrity means briskness or eager readiness. Well, when I looked at that, I had to say somebody is missing something somewhere. Uh, Either the commentators who use this word or else Webster himself. But I think that the overall thought here, and if you want to take this as a, a definition for alacrity, I'll, I'll allow you to do that. I'm not writing a dictionary, but you can always write these things down and tuck them away in some special place. My thought is that alacrity really is the ability to move easily so that you are unhindered in getting where you need or want to be. Let me say that again. It's the ability to move easily so that you are unhindered in getting to where you need or want to be. Well, with a soldier, when he puts things on his feet, that makes it so he is able to move around in a way without something being stepped on, causing him to stumble, and so forth. He is able to move unhindered and with fluidity, so to speak. To move with alacrity. Well, how do we do these things given the subject at hand? I think there are two things that you would need to understand. And I'll I'll relate this uh, to the physical world. 
of what you're what we're talking about and what Paul is saying by preparing your feet. In other words, put these shoes on studiously, methodically, surely, and in a way in which not only do you understand how the shoe is to be put on your foot, but how to keep it on your foot. Um, I don't know, maybe Stan has had this happen. Maybe others of you have had. I know that I have had when I was a kid playing uh, what was supposed to have been uh, touch football with my friends in the neighborhood. Never ended up being touch football. It was something, it was a lot more um, vigorous, I'll put it that way, than that. But to get running and you're running so fast that your shoe flies off. I don't know if anybody's ever had that, but I have had, you just run and it's flying off. And then there you are left to continue on running and stepping on all kinds of things with uh, a foot that is completely unprotected by a shoe. Well, you think about what happens. Well, you start hopping and skipping and all the other different things because you're stepping on things that you wish you hadn't. Um, perhaps we might even equate it to maybe some of you have gone to uh, the beach and have walked on hot sand with the bare feet. And you hop and you skip until you can get your flip-flop back on to protect you from the, the things there that would burn your feet. What Paul is talking about is a work that you not only understand the function of the shoe and how to put it on, but how to keep it on. And so I will say this, that Paul says that dwelling on and studying and I underscore this, dwelling on in your mind that you meditate and you study the Lord Jesus and his atoning work will allow you to avoid that which will harm your walk. Some might suggest that the fact that it is the feet that are so prepared means that the, the gospel actually determines where you go. There's a good application. That where you go is determined by the truth of the gospel at work in your heart. Others perhaps would su suggest that the gospel offers a firm footing for our faith. When the devil attacks, we have already been considering the gospel in our meditations, and so his attacks fall short. Good applications. You keep your mind on the Lord Jesus, and the attacks of the devil fall short. But the point is, you prepare your heart and mind with the gospel and it will function for you as shoes on your feet that allow you to walk with alacrity. Now I want us to consider the third question and that is this. Why is this armor so important? Well, there was one or two of the men that I read that made a point here that really struck my mind. And that is that they noted that it was the habit of Roman soldiers to put spikes through their shoes um, so that they actually would have, as it were, nails sticking down from the bottom of the shoes. And maybe you could um, think that certain sports have shoes that are spiked to give better footing for those that are playing in the particular sport. 
But there would be two reasons why that this might happen, and certainly there is a good application from this. Why did the Romans put spikes through the bottoms of their shoes? Well, first you'd have to say it allowed better traction. Good footing is absolutely necessary when you're in hand-to-hand combat. You need to have something that is very stable. You need not to be pushed around, as it were. You need to have very good, solid footing. So that certainly was um, one reason. Uh, Some had commented that the reason why Julius Caesar was so successful in his conquering was that his soldiers used this method for the very first time and the enemy was so surprised that they could move so quickly and so firmly across areas that men would say, oh, that's going to be hard for them to get across, that there was always the element of surprise. So it was good for traction. But here is the point that I really wanted to stress. Because these spikes on the bottoms of the shoes were a weapon of sorts. Think about this. If you're in hand-to-hand combat and you have a, a sturdy, heavy shoe with spikes on the bottom and you step on the foot of your enemy, that would produce terrible pain and make him unsteady because of his wounded feet. You think about that. If a Roman soldier was there, he's wielding his sword and his shield, but then he purposefully stomps on the foot of the man in front of him, that man's footing all of a sudden becomes completely compromised. You'd have to even say this. If it's possible that that was not your undoing, if you were able to get past this man that stomped on your foot with a spike, the next attacker will find you certainly more unable to stand than you were with the man previously. So it brings you further and further to the place of facing defeat. I will also mention this. If somehow you survived even that battle, the wounds caused by these spikes full of dirt and bacteria would produce infection. And you would not be able to march or go forward in the fight. So it was a tremendously debilitating thing for these spikes to make their way into the foot. So the point is, you need to have your feet shod with such that guards them that this is not going to be your lot. Now, I'll just say this is a by the way. One of the devil's chief tactics is to make you unstable by doubt and fear. When the devil uses his spikes, so to speak, he will certainly stomp as hard as he can to bring you into a place of doubt and fear. If the first attack that he brings does not work, the second attack or temptation may very well do what he is seeking. And I would say this, that the spikes, if you will, that are so used by the wicked one are his questioning that makes you doubt the gospel. You know, the devil seldom ever questions your sincerity. He knows that there was true meaning in your desire to be saved, or when you come to Christ, it asked him to save you. He's not going to attack you on your sincerity, per se. 
The doubt is whether you really ever came at all or whether you came in the right way. Did you do what was needed before God? In fact, the devil will still try to create the doubt. What is your standing with God? On what feet do you possibly stand before God? Is he still angry with you? The devil will then come and ask a question. How can someone that does what you do be saved? Patch will say something like, you know, the Bible specifically says that a man that does what you do is not a believer. He wounds you in your feet where you stand, as it were. So Paul's admonition is this. If you know that the devil will come to make you doubt and fear, as you look at and dwell on yourself, if you know that he is going to step on your feet with his spikes, you should prepare for that. Whereas 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And again, I say to you, a chief weakness of believers is the continual looking at our own worthiness of God's salvation and blessing, or the lack thereof. You prepare yourself, you prepare your feet with the gospel of peace. In other words, let me just say it this way. You are to prepare your mind and your heart with these specific points. Number one, you need to arm yourself that what God says is absolutely true. For God cannot lie. And what he says is powerful. He will do as he says. There is no variance from this. In other words, you set your mind on the perfect integrity of Christ and not your own. You prepare yourself with the gospel. God is true. What he says is true. What he says is the way of his saving grace to you is absolutely true. It cannot change, for God does not change. Second, the Lord Jesus did all that needs to be done to save you. Again, I will stress to you, if you look at yourself, you're always going to be one filled with doubt because you cannot perfectly come to Christ. You're a sinner. And when you come to the Lord Jesus, you come as a sinner. You come with all the failings and all the reasons why you should be lost. But he saves you from that. He successfully does his work. So that the, he comes to the point where he thanks the Father. That all that the Father has given him, he has not lost any of them. That is part of the gospel, the success of Jesus Christ. You keep your mind on the fact that God cannot lie. His integrity is perfect. You keep your mind on the fact that Jesus Christ succeeded. He cannot fail to do your work or the work needed for you to save you. And then third, his righteousness is your righteousness. We considered this last week when we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. You keep your mind on the fact that the righteousness that which you need to completely please God has been imputed to you by the Lord Jesus. 
You prepare your feet, as it were, because the devil will come and seek to stomp on you, as it were, with the spikes of his shoes to cause wounds about how and where you stand with God. All right, let me put it to you this way, in conclusion. The devil cannot wound you or keep you from standing, walking, or running if your mind is stayed on the Lord Jesus. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord, or those whose mind is stayed upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The point, then, is prepare for the attacks of the devil, of the principalities, of the powers, of the spiritual wickedness in high places. You prepare for the attacks by keeping your mind on the gospel of peace. And that is the person and work of the Lord Jesus. You keep your mind there. And you will find that you will not be hindered by all the things that the devil will seek to do to cause you to fall or not to walk or to be made useful for Christ. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel. Not what we think the gospel is as a method, but what God presents as a message. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless the word of God. Pray that you will use it to instruct us, to strengthen us, to help us to see that we need to give ourselves to the consistent and constant consideration of the Lord Jesus, his successful work, and now the standing that we have before God because of that work. Lord, I pray that you will bless what we have considered today. Allow the spirit of God to continue working in our hearts and minds for the sake of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.